This is Faithful Sayings, broadcast by the Leon Valley Church of Christ. It's good to be with you again in our study of the People of God series. We've sought to define what that expression means in Scripture, and we've considered how God has always sought a special people, even among the people that He chose through Abraham, that would later be called Israel, the Israelites, how He sought a particular kind of heart within those individuals that ultimately led to their obedience to Him and their and their love for Him. And we've seen how He requires self-sacrifice, both in the Old and the New Covenant. If one is to be a Christian, uh, God examines the hearts of men today, just as He always has, and wants men to, to undertake the narrow way and follow after His Son. And we've seen how He expects Christians to live every part of their life, for him. And occasionally the preacher in going through those points and the expectations and requirements and conditions of God might hear someone say, well, it's too much. It's too much. God is expecting too much of me. You know, Jesus encountered this kind of response when he was uh, teaching about marriage in, in Matthew chapter 19. And the people were asking him, well, can we divorce uh, can we divorce each other for any reason? And and Jesus appeals to the scriptures, and he goes back to the to the, to the original pattern, and he he talks about how God uh, joined man and woman in the beginning, and what God has joined together, let no man separate. And he says, whoever divorces his wife, except for the reason of adultery, causes her to commit adultery. And then in in the Mark, parallel Mark passage, we find that. If that individual remarries who divorces a spouse for a reason other than adultery, if they remarry, then they, they also are guilty of, of adultery. So uh, I cite that as an example because people in response, to this, in response to that, his disciples said, well, if that's how it's going to be, if this is the way it is, then it's, just, it's better not to marry. In other words, it's it's too much. And you find lots of examples like that. John chapter 6 is, a, is another one. Um, but I think that this is a common response in the world. And maybe it's due in part to, um, you know, preachers in our time trying to convince people of their sinful condition and not inform them about the grace and mercy of God, which is the basis for his his solution to the sin problem, that's his remedy in the giving of his son and the forgiveness that's offered through the sacrifice of his son. So that, I mean, that's what God did so that men could be righteous before him. And that's the only way anybody can be righteous before him. And so God's not, you know, insensitive. He's not uncaring about his creatures. He knows our, our weaknesses He's and he's patient. Second Peter three nine, you know Peter answers the charge. He you know he's anticipating people saying you know where where is where is Jesus? Why hasn't he returned? You know he said he was going to come back. He's going to hold everybody accountable. So why hasn't happened yet? And he says in verse nine of Second Peter chapter three that that God is is not slow in keeping his promise. Although some people will think that he is slow, but Peter says the reality is that he's being patient because he doesn't want anybody to perish. 
that God is patient toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so that's why there's the delay. If you're looking for an explanation, Peter says God's giving people chances. He wants he, he wants to give them time to make the right choice and to, to seek him. And, you know, maybe there's another explanation that man in his pride is reluctant to consider that, you know, we're faced with the disparity of man trying to judge divine standards with, with human and sin-stained limitations because sin affects every aspect of our being. You know, it can lead to physical harm, mental harm, emotional harm, and it it, it makes us... Um, it blurs moral lines. It, it it hinders our judgment. But the, the the truth is is that Christianity is not the outgrowth or fruit of of human morals, uh, but it's just simply the the acceptance of standards that come from our God in in His book, and and He is. He reveals a level, a level of perfection that's beyond us, and we can't we can't judge His law. We can't, you know, in the sense of being selective and deciding, well, this is good or this is bad, or I can I can tolerate this to some extent, or you know, and, and this to a lesser extent. Uh, but but rather, we we are judged by the law, and so we have to be willing to humble ourselves and not let our pride be an obstacle, and 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 acknowledge that. You know, my judgment's all screwed up. Jeremiah 10, 23 says, It's not in man to direct his own steps. Uh, we need we need this divine guidance. And if I if I can't humble myself and yield to that, then I'm I'm going to botch it every single time. And so if I if I really believe in God the way that the scripture does, not just that not just I believe that he exists, but if I truly be- believe in him and believe him, what he says, then then he he knows what is best. And God's way is is the perfect guide for the best life anyone can have on this earth and the only life that you can have in heaven. And that's that's very difficult, I think, for most people to accept. And you know, in, in scripture that was the case, I've cited a couple of examples in Matthew 19 and John 6. But um, but true, but the true people of God in Scripture are dedicated to the idealistic principle, but at the same time they freely admit that their entire lives are just can, can be nothing more than a striving for that ideal principle. They, they, they realize that God's teaching and His Word comes from a source superior to 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 a man, any man, even at his very best. And so my effort to obey will be determined by the extent of, of, of my faith. Take, just simply taking God at his word and, and doing it, understanding that, you know, I, that it will always be a, a progression that I'm, that I'm always will be striving for the standard that God has put before me knowing that I can't reach it, but trusting in His mercy and His grace that He provided through His Son to forgive my sin and my shortcomings. 
and genuine faith is not what I feel subjectively, but it's, but it's, and in, in, throughout Scripture, genuine faith is always related to an acceptance of the Word of God. Any example that you can find within the Bible that the Bible itself says explicitly, here's an example of faith. Look at Hebrews 11. You know, there's a huge list there. Noah, Abel, Abraham, Sarah, Moses. You know, the list goes on. David. And and, and every time, if you look back at the narrative, you know, the biblical narrative of the Old Testament of those individuals that, that are being held up as examples, their faith was was their response to, was seen in their response to their acceptance of the Word of God, whether God gave them a promise or command or a warning, whatever the case may be, God spoke to them and they accepted what He said as the truth and they did their absolute best to act accordingly. And so... The Bible, you know, the word that we have, God's not going to speak to us directly. Just look at Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. He's not going to do that anymore. But we have we have the Bible. We have his recorded words in print that he preserved for us. And so what that means is that the Bible is, is not like an icon, a holy icon. You know, you read a verse or two. Before you, you know, you you put it down. Maybe you maybe you turn to something that satisfies you emotionally and makes you feel good, or you makes you feel validated. That's not that's not the way Scripture is to be handled. Even though it is filled with many wonderful promises, and it and it does um, bring peace to one. We we have to be very careful that we're not just trying to do nothing more than just salve ourselves. An investigation of God's truth goes further than that. All right, we have to have understanding of context. We have to have a, a, a true desire to, to study a subject throughout, not just what one part of the Bible says about it. And if, and if what I read doesn't jive with my preconceptions, then I can't feel free to adjust it you know, in, in, in my favor or, or color it to suit my, my taste. You know, I can't claim to love Jesus but at the same time have little or no grasp what it means to apply his teaching to my life, all of his teaching. You know, he said in John 14, 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And so... Here and we find another critical connection in our relation to God and and His His Word and how that that fits in. So we, you know, we can't we can't mean anything by saying I love God, I love Christ, and at the same time ignore what He says in the Bible. At the same time, not have a desire to be in His Word and study His Word and in and. and and diligently try to understand it. And I think in the religious world, there's a, there's a big disconnect there. That I can be a, a person of faith and I can I can love God. And at the same time, I, I diminish his word. Maybe I pick up the Bible once a month and read a couple of verses here and there. And that's just unbiblical. It's... 
that that kind of Christian doesn't really exist in the New Testament. And you know, on the you go further down the spectrum, and you have people who are just in, in rebellion against Bible teaching. And when you try to identify the error, even in a, in a cooperative effort, and you're, and you're looking at maybe you get a chance to study with that individual. Um, you know, they're willing to give you an audience, and you're looking at the Bible together, and you and you show them what the Word of God says about their life and, and His expectations for them and, and their responsibility to Him, well, then you're going to be accused of being unloving or, or being a, of being a know-it-all. When in Scripture, those who became the people of God didn't have that kind of attitude when they were confronted with His, with his truth by by believers with the best intentions and who loved them and were sharing the word of God with them out of concern for their soul. You know, Acts chapter 17 and 11, we find this group of people in Berea who did not know uh, the gospel, but nevertheless, they they had an interest in spiritual things. They wanted to know the truth. And and what the Bible says about them is that they, they searched the scriptures daily and they were eager to, to do so, and they wanted to see whether the things that Paul was was saying to them were, were so, and so they, you know, they had this love for truth and for the the Word of God, and so here comes this man. He's claiming to have the truth. He has this new message, and and he's he's reasoning from the scriptures, as you know, Luke records throughout the Book of Acts that that Paul often did, that he would persuade people by the scriptures. He would. Uh, reason from the scriptures, uh, you know, meaning the Old Testament. And so he's looking at those prophecies and he's looking even at the law of Moses and he's he's showing how Jesus fulfills those things. And so honest, objective people, when they hear that, they say, well, okay, well, let's go and look. Let's look at the Bible and see if this is what this is actually true. And this is the man that I need to acknowledge as God's son and king and submit to him and change my life. And so there's not this, um, you know, combativeness, uh, you know, being accusatory or, you know, or accusing people of being unloving or know-it-all. That's not what they did to Paul and then try to brush him off or dismiss what he said. They Here's a man saying, this is what the Bible says. Well, let's go and see together and find out. But, uh, but a mark of those in rebellion is that, when, you know, they they can't. When a confrontation, you know, they try to dismiss what the scripture says altogether, or they will basically convince themselves that they're just too holy to argue with you and just walk away. And this is a common, common among the sectarians, um, tradition bound people who have inherited their religion and their beliefs and their values from uh, their their parents and, and, and kinfolk. But it doesn't go any deeper than that. It it they never took the time to test those teachings and traditions and values and beliefs against the ultimate standard of the Word of God, and so they don't feel any need to check it out. Nothing wrong with learning from your mom and dad. I learned from my mom and dad, and that's what, in fact that's what the Bible says they need to do. Is par- that's parental responsibility to teach their children. But we we as children also have a responsibility to make faith our own 
and belief our own and values our own. Not just say, you know, what was good enough for Uncle Jack is good enough for me. You know, I that's biblically that's that's weakness in many ways. We want someone else to do our thinking for us. Uh, we want we want someone else to work out the system, quote unquote, for us, and then you know if they accept it, well then we could accept it, or leave it up to the preacher, or leave it up to the elder or the pastor, or whatever the, the case may be. And you know if you have a, if you have a question, you go, well, what do we what do we believe about this or that? And you're and you're looking to these these third party sources without ever investigating for yourself. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing the word of God, Romans ten seventeen. And we can we can and we should ask questions and investigate, and and go to the people that we trust and and use them as a sounding board. But the but the point is is that people are not the final authority. Uncle Jack's not the final authority. My mom and dad were not the final authority. <clears throat> they taught me many great things, but they're people and they can be wrong. And so I, I have to test what they say by the word of God and their way of life by the word of God. And, and, if, it's, and, and if it is consistent with what God says, well, then I, I, I thank them and I look to them as an example and I, pre, I should appreciate them and, and treasure those lessons. But if it's, if it's not consistent, even though they're my mom or dad or whoever I, I admire and trust, you know, I have to be done with what they're teaching me if it's not in the Bible. I can't even pretend to accept it. You know, Pilate, when Jesus is before him, he makes this cynical remark about, you know, what is what is truth. And in, in, in John chapter 18, and Jesus is 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 before Pilate and you know, Pilate says, I have the power to crucify you and, and so on and so forth. And you know he's he's probing and he's trying to get Jesus to tell him his identity and Jesus says I I I am a king and this is the reason that I was born and then he says to testify to the truth and that's when Pilate says well, what is what is truth and a lot of people have that attitude today like cynically you know there is no absolute truth your truth is your truth and my truth is, is my truth and God is saying no there is an, an absolute universal objective standard for all people and it is it is here in his word I want to share with you something a, a preacher wrote a long time ago because I think it it encapsulates so perfectly what a genuine seeker of truth what what his or her attitude should be you know Paul in 2 Thessalonians 2.10 he summarizes the, the reason people will be lost in, in that case is he's talking about the coming of the lawless one and, and this individual or, or, or collective who will uh, deceive a lot of people, even a lot of believers, <clears throat> and lead them away from the, the truth. And then he says in, in verse 10, the, the reason that this is going to happen is you know certainly because of the evil influence of the individual. But he, but he says for those who are swept up, those who perish in wickedness, he says they're going to do so because they didn't love the truth. They did not love the truth so as to be saved. 
And, you know, that that's not the only place where we find this emphasis. You know, I've given you the example of the Bereans in Acts 17 earlier who were, you know, they were they were digging, they were searching, and they were eager to look to the Scriptures and can compare what Paul was saying to, uh, to, to what the Word of God actually said, all those prophecies. You, you know, we have all these examples. We have passages like 2 Thessalonians 2.10 and 1 Thessalonians 5.21 that says, Examine everything carefully. Examine everything carefully and hold fast to that which is good and abstain from that which is evil. You know, so we have this call to be uh, discerning in, in that regard. You know, Paul will tell Timothy to accurately handle the word of of truth, cut it straight or divide it divide it rightly. Right. So there's a right and wrong way to to handle truth. Right. And 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 our attitude is going to play a big role in that. John will say in First John four one, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So you see, this this universal emphasis in Scripture on yours and, and, and my attitude toward truth as as an absolute, as as universal, and, and being satisfied with with nothing less, and, and having the willingness and the initiative to go. And, and read and pray and and try to understand for ourselves what it is God is saying and what he, what it is he would have us do. And so uh, you know all of that I, I say to preface this uh, the, this poem or prose that uh, this preacher uh, named Robert Turner wrote many years ago. He says this, truth is a mountain towering high. Majestic and awesome, it, it beckons the climber. Great and wonderful, clothed in mysteries, it threatens and promises. Benevolently reaching to the world, it summons all. Yet sternly holds aloft its crown to challenge each who comes. Below, in railed and graded trails, move masses. Camera-clicking tourists, worn by travel. Scarce grasp their guides' trained words and far less understand the majestic scene. The way grows steep and many faint. They wander aimlessly adrift in parks and glades of theory with their creeds, and they're content to pay lip service to the fountainhead above. They sip its waters and grimace and add sweets and bitters to their taste. Now it's wonderful, they say. We must organize a party and bring others to this way. And so they sip and talk and they praise with shallow praise and then pause to rest and resting sleep. But still truth, glorious and wondrous, whole truth, wreathes its head in hoary clouds and calls with a voice of thunder, onward and upward. Error shouts derision, stops the ear, with arrogance, he hides his wounds and walks another way. Tradition, richly garbed and stiff with age, dares not attempt the rugged path. And weaklings, fearing to look heavenward, support a course that others plan and wish themselves in better climb. But faith, faith responds, and in the earnest seeker, wets desire. He dares to look up, toiling and sweating, step by step he climbs, struggling across down timbers on the slope. He pushes upward, 
higher and higher, his lungs of fire. He climbs with foot and hand, with heart and soul. For truth he lives, and if needs be, dies. He asks for no quarter. He hears no scorn. His hope is fastened on this goal, whose misty draperies sometimes part, and to his raptured eyes reveal its sun-swept crest. He needs no other prize than this. For here men bravely find themselves, and here men humbly walk with God. Biblically, it's faith that causes the people of God to look up to God. Again, consider any example from Abel to Abraham to to Noah when God spoke to them and gave him his word to build an ark, to leave their country, to sacrifice their son. They obeyed. They, they strove to measure up to the standard that God set before them. And it was difficult mentally and emotionally and physically in the work that they the work that they did. But they did it in faith, understanding I'm not earning anything. But I have to respond to this message simply because of the one who said it to me. It's from the Creator. You know, and to this materialistic and skeptical age, you know, that, that may mean that these people are perceived as superstitious or gullible or even ignorant. And that bothers them. But people like Abraham and Noah, they they had the strength of faith and, and, and trust in God, and they, they were not affected by name-calling. And neither can we. Neither can we be. And so true believers in Scripture are those who obey from the heart, Romans six seventeen, And the church, the people of God, in the universal sense, are the saved, and they are the only ones who respond to God's word in humble obedience. And they won't be satisfied with anything less than the truth. And they will use their lives to continue pursuing the truth, Second Peter 3.18 grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So the world may accept religion as having a place in reducing crime or approving the mores of society and the faithful it's truth, the faithful obedient children of God do improve the world as they pass through it. But their motivation isn't that in and of itself. Their motivation comes from their faith in God. Because their ultimate game is ultimate aim is to be with him in heaven and to be to be pleasing to him, and they find no greater joy in this. The truly faithful take take no joy in the weakness of others, but they have pity and, and sorrow for a lost world, and and are at least should be anxious to assist them. People of God are moved with compassion for all mankind. Jesus was. And the same people of God are also humbled by recalling their own weaknesses. They're not haughty, proud, or at least they shouldn't be. 
They have no right to be. But Jesus pictured the proper attitude in, in the parable of the Pharisee and the publican in, in Luke chapter 18. One of those men prayed, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like other people, that I'm not an extortioner, unjust, or an adulterer, or even as this tax collector. But the tax collector prayed. When he prayed, he wouldn't even lift his eyes up to heaven, and he was beating his chest as he stood there saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. And Jesus says it is that man who was justified before God, not the other. And so the climber of God's mountain who is seeking to draw near to him and understand his truth is not the self-centered person. It's not the arrogant person, but it's one who's well aware of his weaknesses. And he's also aware of the demands and the sacrifice of the slope that is before him. And he's honest about that, and he's honest about it with other people. And it will be his faith in God that keeps him determined to climb, to move forward, to grow in his understanding and appreciation and love of God and ultimately attain the prize. That's the person God seeks. The ones who seek him. The Hebrew writer put it this way in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6. He who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Jason Garcia, and this has been Faithful Sayings.